Well, would you turn with me to John chapter 6? John chapter 6, we'll begin this chapter this morning, and we turn now to the fourth sign in the book of John, declaring to us the very message that is not hidden in this book is very clear. In fact, John makes it clear in John 20, 31. John 20, verse 31. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So this sign, the one that we're going to study about this morning, is the fourth of seven in the book of John, all of them leading to, pointing to, and declaring unto you that Jesus is the Son of God and that those who believe in him can have life in his name. John 6, beginning in verse 1, and we'll go today through verse 15. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the word of the living God. Would you pray with me as we study it? Father, thank you for your truth and your power. Thank you that on display even now uh, we see a creative God, a creator God, who can make uh, out of nothing and out of something so insignificant Uh, something that would give life to many. Not only do we read of your power in meeting the needs of a large group of people, we recognize and know that this is true because you are the one who gives life by your own body, which is the bread of life, unto all those who would partake of it. Thank you, God, for your truth, and thank you for your word. Help us to understand it rightly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
to this point in the Gospel of John, we are now in a part of this text where there has been a bit of a turn, right? Jesus has kind of shown us his power. Jesus has shown us his truth. And Jesus has shown us the reality that he is the son of God. And that's been met with some sense of opposition. We talked about that last Sunday. In the face of that opposition, some might wonder, what is it that Jesus would do? If so many people are against him, if so many people don't like him, if so many people don't believe him, then what's Jesus's response to that? Well, we enter into John chapter 6, and it's very much like John 5. What we're going to find in this chapter is a, a story of Jesus's kindness and compassion. We're going to find those who oppose him and dislike him and disapprove of him. And then we'll find Jesus explaining himself, telling us very clearly exactly why we ought to believe in him. And the story that we have before us today is one that you're very familiar with. It was the very first in our emoji game. Not only because we were turning there this morning, but because it's a story you've probably heard countless times. Uh, Jesus has done very miraculous things. And in your Bible, there are very miraculous stories. You know of David and Goliath. You know of Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, you know of Moses in the wilderness. You know of the burning bush. Uh, you know of Jesus walking on water, but there's something particular about the story in front of us that I think you know very well, but often we miss its significance and its power. Here, we're going to read about Jesus feeding over 5,000 people. And this story is unique. Uh, for one, this story is the only miracle, it's the only one of these signs that's attested to by every single one of the Gospels. Some of the Gospels have uh, miracles and signs that are unique to them, but the sign of Jesus feeding 5,000 is in every single Bible account of Jesus. Every Gospel account shares this story. Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, and now here, John chapter 6. Not only that, this is an important miracle and one for us to take seriously and take note of because this is probably the largest of Jesus's miracles. You would remember that there was a wedding where Jesus turned water into wine, and that's a huge miracle to achieve. What about feeding 20,000 people out of nowhere? It is by far the largest of the miracles that Jesus has accomplished. He has raised uh, dead people to life, and in that has brought joy to entire families. He's blessed an entire community by uh, saving a wedding that was running out of wine. But here, he will fill the stomachs of over 20,000 people in one shot. It is by far the greatest sign to date of his power, his might, and his ability. And so this wondrous sign, it is to tell us of the power of Jesus, but we'll see in the coming weeks as well, it is going to tell us something about who Jesus is. That's why John uses that term. You'll notice that when we come to a passage like John 6 and we say it's the fourth sign, John is very particular and very intentional. He doesn't use the word miracle or wonder. He says it's a sign. 
And it's because these miracles are intended to communicate to you something about Christ. And more than just the ability that Jesus has to feed thousands of people, this is going to be a sign to everyone of what he can do for your soul. That whereas bread and fish are to be made plentiful so that these people could eat and dine with Jesus, in a short while, Jesus will explain that so also his body will be borne out so that all who partake of him can have eternal life. That whereas so many people come to Jesus because of what Jesus can give them, Jesus prefers and Jesus requires that you come to him, not for the blessings he gives, but for himself. That though you can turn to Jesus because he can do wonderful things, your requirement, the obligation, is that when you see Jesus doing marvelous things, you would know it's because he's the son of God and I ought to believe in him. Here's another sign, the fourth sign, declaring to us that Jesus is the Son of God so that you might believe. Well, notice that as we start this story out, Jesus has gone away to the Sea of Galilee. And that is an important note for us. And it even notes for us in verse 4 that the Passover, the Feast of the Jews, was at hand. So Jesus is traveling, and now he's off to a new place, off to a new land. And you remember in chapter 5, Jesus in chapter 5 is also coming or going to a feast. And so here, now going to the Passover, the question is, where are we in time? Is this next day? Is this next week? The likely possibility is that what we see in chapter 6 is about 6 to 12 months after what happened in chapter 5. A long period of time has taken place in between chapters 5 and 6. If Jesus is coming from the Feast of Booths, which some believe is what happened in chapter 5, then it's 6 months. There's still a long time, and in that time, Jesus was very profitable and very useful, and so were his disciples. If it's since the last Passover, not hard to do the math, then it would be a year. Now, the reason I bring that up to you is to say that that's not 6 to 12 months of nothing. That's 6 to 12 months of hard work. And this gospel account doesn't necessarily lay that out for us, but the others do. In Matthew 4, or Matthew 14, verse 13, you'll actually note that coming into this story, coming into this sign, Jesus is entering fresh off the news that John the Baptist has been beheaded. His dearest friend, his cousin, the one who Jesus says is the greatest of men to ever live, he has just given his life for the sake of declaring Christ. And because of this, a weary Jesus is trying to get away from everyone. It tells us there that he's weary, and so he removes himself trying to find a desolate place. Mark six twenty nine to 31. Let me read that one for you, actually. You can turn there if you like, but Mark 6 Verse 29, when the disciples heard of it, heard of John the Baptist's death, they came and took his body and laid in a tomb. And the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. 
And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. What a fascinating way to launch us into the story that we're about to see. Jesus is going off to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And the intention there is to tell you it's the opposite direction most people are going. Because Jesus and his disciples are trying to get away from everyone. They need some time to rest. They're weary from ministry work. They're weary from the news of John the Baptist being beheaded. They're weary from teaching and doing signs. These are a weary group of people. So Jesus takes them to another side of the sea where no one should be really following, but it's impossible for him. As weary as he is, as tired as he is, verse 2, chapter 6 of John, a large crowd was following him. Here's Jesus just trying to catch a breath. Jesus trying to catch a break. Jesus trying to get rest. And the large crowds will not let go of him. Two things that are important for us to understand from that. Number one, Jesus was a human like you and I are human. Jesus was another person like you and I are people. Jesus got tired like you do. Sometimes Jesus was so spent like you and I are that he wanted to go and lock himself up in his own room and have no one else come in. Jesus would look for a place where he could sit in solitude to his own thoughts and pray unto God. Jesus is human. And yet notice that it's a human Jesus like this And it's because he's human like you and I that though the large crowds are following him around, he still seeks to help them. That's why Hebrews says that he sympathizes with us in our weakness. The very thing that would draw Jesus to try to find a spot where he can be isolated from everyone is the same thing that draws him in to say, these are like sheep without a shepherd. And so though these large crowds are pursuing him and following him, he's okay with it. If he doesn't get the rest he wants, he's happy to serve the people looking for him. What a sign of a compassionate and human Jesus. One who knows you and one who understands you and one who doesn't tire of helping you. This is the Jesus of the Bible. It's the Jesus of Scripture. And not only does this tell us that Jesus is human, but it also tells us that we are more human than we care to think about. Verse 2, a large crowd is following him, and this really leads us into the first point of this text, the curious crowd, the curious crowd, because Jesus is human, and however, this crowd is much more human than they care to express notice they're following him and jesus as always happy to meet their needs and happy to do whatever would help but they're following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick if you were to read the other gospels they actually tell you this that jesus before this time those six to twelve months has been declaring the kingdom of god declaring the good news of the gospel declaring salvation, declaring repentance and faith, 
Jesus has been preaching the good news that he has come to save. But notice the reason that this crowd is curious. They do not care much for the message that Jesus has to give. This crowd cares about the wonders Jesus is doing. This large crowd is pursuing and following after Jesus. And they're intrigued by what Jesus can do, not who Jesus is. This crowd is intrigued by what Jesus can do, not who Jesus is. They've seen the signs time and time again. John 2 at the wedding. John 3, 2, Nicodemus says, we know that you must be of God because of the things that you do. John 4, declaring that a, a sickly son of an official in, in Herod's court is dying, saying he will be well again and his word being good enough to accomplish it. They've seen his power time and time again. At the pool of Bethesda, a man who has been lame for 38 years is now walking around in town again. They've seen his signs. They've seen his power. And so what happens to people when they see Jesus perform such wonderful signs? They expect all those things for themselves. These people have become really good at tuning out Jesus' message so they can get Jesus' benefits. They've become really good at dismissing the truth that God is proclaiming through his son so that they can get all the blessings that flow from the son. They say Jesus can fulfill my wants and all the while they miss that Jesus fulfills our needs. They want a genie like Jesus, not a son of God like Jesus. And friends, this is the crowd that is following Jesus in John chapter 6. But don't get it twisted. It's much like a lot of the crowd that is following Jesus today. The, the crowd here in John 6 is only a portrait to us of how many think of Christ in the present. Jesus is great, absolutely. If, if Jesus will actually help and heal this relative of mine who's sick and who I don't want to die. Jesus is great. If he can help fix my family's problems and get mom and dad to agree again, then yes, I, th I think I like Jesus in that case. Jesus is great. If he can help me to become uh, the kind of athlete who will have a successful career, then and only then do I think Jesus is great. If he gives me that, then I like Jesus. Jesus is great. If I get to go into the career path I want and get the job I want and get the family I want and get the house I want and get the lifestyle I want, if I get all I want, then yes, Jesus is great. So too said this crowd. If Jesus does all the earthly things we want, then we love Jesus. The problem is Jesus came with his own agenda in mind. And Jesus assessing our lives, assessing our hearts, knowing our needs, being human like we are, knew that our greatest need, the greatest need even in this moment, is not making sick people well again or giving thousands of people bread to eat, but to give himself for his people so that all who believe in him can be released from the power of their sins and released unto righteousness before God. What use does it? 
What use is it to get all the things you want in life, but to miss out on the true message of the gospel? So you've gained everything, but you miss Jesus. What does that mean for you? It means you have nothing. To gain the whole world and to lose your soul is to be the most pitiful kind of person. To have everything but not have Jesus is to have nothing. So many of us are like this curious crowd. We follow Jesus because there's good things that come with him. All the while missing that the best thing is him. The curious crowd. Secondly here, notice what Jesus does. Jesus says he or Jesus goes up on the mountain and there he sits down with his disciples and the Passover, the feast is at hand and lifting up his eyes, he sees a large crowd coming and he knows that something must be done. And so he turns secondly here. First, we had the curious crowd. Secondly, we see the calculating disciple, the calculating disciple, accountant man, crunching numbers. Jesus sees there's a ton of people following after him, so he turns to Philip. Now, if you're asking yourself, why does he turn to Philip for all people? Guess what? I've asked myself that all week, and I didn't find an answer. We have no idea why he turns to Philip. Maybe Philip had an ancient calculator on hand. Maybe Philip was an accountant in a past life. Maybe Philip was a baker, so he knew how to break bread. I don't know. But Jesus turns to Philip. And it's possible Philip had some kind of administrative role amongst the disciples. That's possible. But we don't know. We just know he turns to Philip and he says, where are we to buy bread so that these people might eat? Philip doesn't get it. He doesn't understand the power of the rhetorical question. You know what a rhetorical question is? You do because you didn't answer. It was rhetorical. It wasn't meant for you to answer. And that's what Jesus is asking Philip. He's like, where are we supposed to get all this bread? Sheesh. And Philip's like, uh, oh, what, 200, 200 denarii wouldn't buy us enough bread to feed all these people. We'd still be short. And Jesus is like, I wasn't actually asking you, bro. I was, okay, whatever. But that's the point. He comes to this calculating disciple who sees a human problem and doesn't understand it's going to be met by supernatural answers. Philip immediately whips out a calculator and starts thinking like a baker and thinking like someone who's got to order bread at a restaurant. And he's like, well, if we had 200 denarii, it's still not going to be enough, Jesus. And Jesus's whole point is that nothing would be enough. None of what we have here is enough. What I'm about to do is not based on us having enough. It's based on who I am. Philip sees how dire the situation is. The amount given here, it's considerably, it's, or it's considered to be about eight months worth of wages. In American dollars, that would be roughly, if you're taking on average numbers, it'd be about $50,000 worth of money. That's how many people are there. Like if we were to say like, you know, if I told you, you and your friends on 180 dime, you got 500 bucks to go eat lunch today. You'd be living, right? Like, I mean, I hope you would choose something other than In-N-Out. Like, let's choose wisdom here. But you would have a great time. Put that into perspective for a second. 
$50,000 worth of money is not sufficient to meet the needs of the people sitting in front of Jesus. How many people are there? How great of a need is before them? And this calculating disciple, he can't quite figure out how this is going to be possible. And that's the point. The point is that Jesus transcends possibility because Jesus is the son of God. And if Jesus wills to do something, he will do it by the power that only he has. A calculating disciple, he has no idea how this is going to happen. Neither should he. He's about to watch as Jesus displays his godness. A curious crowd, the calculating disciple. Number three, we see here the creative miracle. Look at verse eight. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, he says, there's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So it's like, it's like dumb and dumber kind of, you know? So it's like the one guy's like, shoot, 50,000 is not even going to feed these guys. And the other guy's like, he has a couple crackers and some goldfish. I don't know if that helps. And Jesus is like, I don't, what is wrong with these guys? And, and, and it, it just looks like nothing good is going to come out of this. Five barley loaves? I mean, this isn't even real bread. Friends, a barley loaf is, I mean, it's like the equivalent. You know, when you go on a flight and you get those Biscoff cookies, it's like one of those. It's like hard and crunchy, but not nearly as tasty. It's like a, it's like a bread chip. It's like, one, it's like the rye chip that you get in the Chex Mix bag, which low-key, I kind of like the rye chip. So it's like a little chip. It's not even like real bread. And then it's these measly fish that have been, who knows how long this kid has had these fish in his bag. I mean, it's a kid that brings this food up too. Like someone's got to ask questions. And here he comes. They bring this to Jesus. Jesus says, have the people sit down. What an interesting note here that then it says, there was much grass in the place. And the, the men sat down about 5,000 in number. The fact that there's grass in this area, I think it actually begins to turn this story to give us a little bit of hope because there's something interesting happening in the story. I don't know if you remember it, but when Israel leaves Egypt and wander in the wilderness, what does God provide for them? Not rhetorical question. Manna or bread. This is what they're used to having seen. In dire need, going up on the mountain, Moses meets with God. He comes back. He walks with his people. And what God provides is bread. Here, Jesus takes these people. He walks up on a mountain with his disciples. There's nothing to eat. And all of a sudden, there is going to be bread. There's grass in this place. I think it's a sign that there is about to be abundance. And the men sit down awaiting to see what will happen. 5,000 of them. But that's just men only. It's not accounting for the women and the children that are likely sitting there. And so every estimate of how many people would be here leaves you with a number somewhere between 18 to 25,000. If you want to put that into perspective, go to a Lakers game. Don't go to a Clippers game. Those are awful. Go to a Lakers game. And when you sit in that arena, just understand there are 20,000 seats around you. You want to know what Jesus did on this day? He fed an entire arena of people. 
How? Well, it says Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks. What a different disposition for Jesus to give. I don't know if you remember it, but when in Exodus chapter 16, when uh, Moses finally declares that there's going to be manna for the people, do you know what God says? I'm giving this to you because you, I heard your grumbling and your complaining. And God can give him moments like that, but what a difference it is that Jesus gives thanks. And after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. Bread, as much as they wanted. But what about the fish? Well, that too. How much? As much as they wanted. It said they ate until they had their fill. Friends, this is, a, this is like bottomless fries. This is like endless soup and salad at Olive Garden. This is like you can have as much as you want. This is all you can eat kind of meal. For 20,000 people, And I don't know what the picture was like. I don't know how it happened. I don't know if Jesus prayed and all of a sudden, boom, it was sitting there in front of them. I don't know what the process looked like. I can tell you this much, though. Every account of the gospel declares that this happened, and there is no account saying that it didn't happen. We know for sure that over 20,000 people that day were fed, and not only fed, fed as much as they wanted. Because that's how Jesus works. He always gives abundantly. What he has to offer is always far exceedingly above and beyond what we could expect or imagine. And so he gives until they eat and they eat until they're full. This miracle stands out to us. Here, Jesus isn't restoring something that's broken. Here, Jesus isn't healing someone that's lame and needs a little fixing up. Here, Jesus makes food seemingly out of nothing. This demonstrates his creative power. The power with which he created the entire universe now on display to feed an entire people. And it leads to number four. The declaration of the coming prophet. The coming prophet. They eat to their full and he tells the disciples, verse 12, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Notice the abundance there. Not only does everyone eat as much as they want, Now the 12 disciples, each one basket per person can go around and carry up the scraps and they fill up 12 baskets with leftovers. So much food, an abundance of God's grace. And now verse 14, the coming prophet, when the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. What a statement. Who is this prophet? Well, perhaps you remember John 1, 21. uh, The Jews actually first come up to John the Baptist with this question. John the Baptist is declaring repentance and faith and belief in Jesus. And they say, who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? And it's a reminder going back to, and we've talked about this before, Deuteronomy 18, 15. Moses in speaking to that second generation that's to inherit the promised land 
telling them, knowing very well he's not going to make it in there with them. He prepares their hearts by saying, there is a prophet coming who will be like me, who will do the things that I do, who will be far greater than me. In fact, notice what he says here in Deuteronomy 34. Deuteronomy 34, verses 10 through 11. Here at the end of Moses' life, we read, There was not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. They have been awaiting the prophet who would rival Moses in his power, in his signs, and his authority. And now after this miracle, the people turn to one another and say, this indeed is the prophet. He seems to be the kind of person who's going to deliver us just like Moses. He, he, gave, he made us bread out of nowhere, just like Moses. This must be the prophet. But notice that their intentions with him are far different than what Jesus desires them to be. They think he's a prophet simply because their stomachs were satisfied. And they still fail to recognize who it is that Jesus really is. This is the issue with promoting some kind of flashy, gimmicky Jesus. A Jesus who will give you everything you want. Because the minute that you put all your stock into the things that Jesus gives, you've missed the main point. Jesus gave them bread, but the point that Jesus wanted to make here is that they could have him. And so notice what happens here. Number four is the coming prophet. Number five, and lastly here, the cautious king. The cautious king. Verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus will not allow people to make him the kind of king that they want. Jesus will be king and Lord of your life in the way that he desires. And how is it that Jesus desires to be king? How is it that he desires for you to understand him? Why is it that in the moment where anyone else would have said, absolutely, bring it on, bring on the accolades and the love and the affirmation, I'd love to be king. You saw my power, I'm the man. Jesus easily could have done that, but instead he withdraws himself, isolates himself, Why would you run away in a moment like that, Jesus? You finally have the spotlight. You finally have everyone's attention. You finally have everyone's affirmation and love. Why would you let that go? In this moment, Jesus gives unto these people physical bread to sustain them, but just for a little while. And the time has not come yet 
But the time is soon coming in this gospel where Jesus will give his life, a life that he calls bread of life. And all those who take their fill of Jesus's life can live eternally. People in this story are so satisfied with the temporary things that come from God and not the everlasting offer in his son. This is not only true of them, it is also true of us. All of us here, whether you're a Christian or not, especially if you're a believer, before you believed, you were no better than the people sitting there feasting on God's blessings. Enjoying the goodness of the world around you because God is just that kind of a king. That though he should punish you eternally, he gives you a life to enjoy. He gives you a life filled with pleasures. But all that hopefully pointing back to you needing to know him. Friends, the story that goes here is that Jesus will not be king simply because he made bread by the Sea of Galilee. The story we have here is one that Jesus will soon tell us later on in this chapter. It's one that those who receive him can receive the kind of bread and nourishment and satisfaction for their souls that will never die, that will never fade. It is why Jesus tells us here, John 6, verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Why did Jesus run away from being king after doing something so miraculous and so powerful? Because that's not the way he was meant to be king. He's not the kind of king that you just prop up on the throne because he does nice things. He's the kind of kid king that gives his life as a ransom for many. He's the kind of king that lays down his life for the sheep. He's the kind of king that must be torn apart for the sake of his people so that they might receive him and know he truly loves them and can save them. He's not the king that you necessarily want, but he certainly is the king that you need. So what is it that this story is trying to tell us? I think it's trying to tell us that you can be about the bread that Jesus gives or you can be about the bread that Jesus is. Those are two very different things. You can feast on the blessings that God gives, or you can feast on the blessing that is God. Which will you choose? Which will you live for? Which will satisfy your soul? Which will propel you to tell others the good news of the gospel? It won't be the bread of this world. It'll be the bread of life. And we'll learn more about him later on this semester. Father, thank you for your time, for the time that we've had in your word. Thank you, God, for your truth, and thank you for the clarity with which you speak to us, that your power makes it evident that you are the Son of God who loved the world and gave your life so that in you we might have life. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.